Let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. If you look around, you'll see that our renovations are getting there. We're 99% done, probably. And uh, we still just need the carpet up here on the, on the stage uh, where the choir would be. And then uh, the modesty rails uh, go in front of that. And then um, the curtain's got to go back up, but the curtains would be in the way of the carpeters. And so we're just waiting for that to be done. And uh, we may get some of them up this next week, but uh, things are coming together. And one thing that they did is that when the carpenter was here, he made me a bigger pulpit top so I can have more notes and we can preach longer. How's that? Amen. And uh, let's vote. We still kept the old one just in case you don't like the bigger one. And so we can go smaller and less notes. But I like the bigger one. I can spread it a little more here. Matthew 14 this morning. Matthew chapter 14. I want to thank the flower shop in Jarvis. Is Cindy in here? What's the name of that flower shop? She knows it's Creative Unique Designs. That's what it's called. Unique Designs. And they they donated uh, these... uh, Temporarily, they're, they're, not, they're fake flowers, but they wanted to help us make our platform look nice the first Sunday we were back up here. So they, we've done a lot of funerals and things with them over the years, and so they donated these beautiful arrangements just to make our auditorium look nice today. So I appreciate that. So that's Unique Designs in Jarvis, and they do a great job. They did this arrangement as well, and so they just do a nice job and wanted to be a blessing to us. And so that was very nice of them, and it looks beautiful. So thank you to them. Matthew chapter 14 this morning. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to read verses 22 through 33, and of course we find the story here of the Lord Jesus Christ walking on the water. The title of my message is, A Stroll Upon the Water, A Stroll Upon the Water. But what's unique about the story in Matthew chapter 14, we read about this in Matthew, in Mark, and in John. Luke doesn't record this story. But it's only in the book of Matthew we read about Peter actually getting out of the boat and walking on the water as well. I think that's appropriate. I think it's, it was nice that it was mentioned in the Word of God, and we're going to look at it a little bit in depth this morning, but that was not the focus of the miracle. The focus was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we, we sometimes get caught up in that, and, if we, and, and we, we misunderstand the Bible as a result of that. If I were to say to most Sunday school children, what is the book of Jonah about? They'll say, well, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. No, the book of Jonah is about God. It's about how God delivered the people of Nineveh. It's about how God prepared a great fish and how God preserved a man inside the belly of a whale for three We have an amazing God. Jonah was rebellious. Well, we don't want to read about him. It was about God, how he dealt with a rebellious man. And so we, we need to keep that in mind. This is the book of God. This is a story of God's grace, a story of God's mercy, a story of God dealing with his people and redeeming his people, and that's what this book is about. And so I appreciate that only Matthew mentions Peter and the other two focus solely on the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look this morning in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and taught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this account from the word of God today that tells us the story of Jesus walking on the water. Lord, when we say story, we don't mean a fairy tale. We believe it to be the very words of God. And I pray that you'd help impress upon our hearts this is the absolute truth from God's word. There was a man sent from God, Jesus Christ, the Son. He was co-equal with the Father. He was God in the flesh, sent to redeem mankind, sent to do the Father's will. And Lord, he did miraculous things. And today we will see him walk upon the water. Let no man in this room doubt. Let no woman or child ever have a lack of faith believing that Jesus was who he said he was. So Lord, as we just commit our faith to this passage, believing it word for word, I pray that you'd help us to draw from it the principles that you'd have for us this morning. And Father, we'll give you praise and thanks. Lord, I, I need your help, and I ask for your filling. Lord, speak through me. Lord, I pray that only you would be seen, that you would bless your holy word. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, often in the Bible, when we see a storm, we think about the storms in our own life, don't we? There was another storm out on the Sea of Galilee another time, and this time Jesus was already with the disciples and sleeping in the front of the boat. And they woke Jesus Christ and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? It was a fearful storm. It was one that the disciples, these weathered fishermen, these veterans of the sea were taken to a place of great fear as they considered likely their certain death on the sea that night. Well, we come to another such story. Matthew chapter 14 tells us of the story of the Lord Jesus Christ he has just finished feeding the 5,000. The Bible talks about it in all three Gospels that we're referencing today, Matthew, Mark, and John, that Jesus had just finished the five, feeding the 5,000, and the multitudes were so great, and they thronged him. One passage said that they would take him and make him king. But Jesus decided he would slip away and pray. And the Bible says he constrained the disciples to get into the ship and the Bible, I believe it is in the book of Mark, tells us they were going to Capernaum. And Jesus would meet them there. And he went up into the mountain to pray. But as we notice, as we read the scripture, the Bible says a great wind came up that night and the water became tempestuous and it began to rock that boat. And the Bible says the men began to toil. 
They begin to roll to that contrary wind. They begin to try to fight in a direction they were supposed to go, and yet they could not make progress, and they just found themselves being pushed out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Another portion of scripture in the book of John tells us how many furlongs they had rowed, and, and a commentator says that was about three kilometers. They were a long way from shore. But I want you to notice some things about this story, and we'll draw some principles out at the end. I want you to notice, first of all, the conditions of the sea. The conditions of the sea. First of all, we know it was contrary to the ship. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? The Bible says the winds were contrary. The waves were pushing against them. These were seasoned fishermen, some of them on that boat that night. And if they were struggling and rowing, and the Bible says the word that it uses is toiling. This was work for them. They were pushing against those waves, and yet it was not taking them in the direction they wanted to go. Have you, ever, have you ever been in the water and felt like, I just can't get, I'm swimming and I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm rowing or I'm paddling a boat and I just can't seem to get up the stream where I need to go. It can be frightening. It's a dangerous thing. I remember many years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were camping with uh, Jeff Masker and his family, and we were up north uh, near Huntsville, and uh, we had gotten a, uh, we had purchased something at a store, I don't remember what it was, and they gave us a free beach ball. Well, we were grown adults, at least we thought we were, and we had, what are we going to do with the beach ball? We said, well, we'll just take it down to the, when we go, we were going, Jeff and I were going canoeing that day, so we'll just give it to somebody down at the beach, one of the kids. And so there was a little three-year-old little boy there, and I blew up that beach ball, and I gave it to him, and he grabbed it, and he was playing with it, and he was having a good time, and we were getting our canoe. Next thing we knew, the wind took that ball, and the boy went after it into the water, and he got swept up. And I, I chased after and dove in and got him, but he was fighting to get back, and he couldn't get back. The water was only as high as my waist, but he was just a little guy. I just picked him up and took him back to shore. It was nothing heroic. I'm not trying to blow my horn or anything. I'm just saying... But that boy was fighting and trying to get to shore, and it just kept pushing him away. That must be how the disciples felt that night. The sea was contrary to the ship, but I want you to notice they were also centered in the sea. They said, what are you trying to say? Well, the commentators tell us it's about three kilometers, the number of furlongs they had rowed, and I, I believe the water was likely pushing them further away from their objective because they were toiling and rowing and trying to get to Capernaum. They were trying to go where they wanted to, to, to meet with the master later on, and, and as they were rowing, it was futile and it was fruitless, and they were just struggling to get to where they wanted to go, and they found themselves out in the middle of the water where no salvation can be found. There was no option just to jump and swim to shore. There was no opportunity for them to drop anchor. Their water was likely too deep out there in the middle that they could just ride out this storm. It was not a good situation. God had allowed them to drift to a place where they had nothing to rely on except for God himself. They say, you mean God orchestrated this? I believe so, and I want to show you that next. So we see, I just want to illustrate the, the conditions of the sea, but I want you to notice, secondly, th this morning as we consider this, this storm, I want you to notice the circumstances of the storm. Often we liken a, a, a storm to a trial or a test in our lives, and I think the Bible makes those connections oftentimes, and we sing songs, don't we, about that, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more. We, we sing songs along that idea, and we have that idea that a storm 
can be a trial, I want you to notice the circumstances of the storm. First of all, it was a calculated trial. It was calculated. You say, what do you mean? You'll remember when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and he was sleeping in the bow. And the Bible says that the storm came up and the disciples said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? There was an, a, an evident fear in the life of the disciples. But in the book of Matthew, Mark, and John, you will never find that the disciples were scared of this storm. It never once says they were fearful. It says they were toiling. I, I just want to suggest to you tonight that God had given them just enough storm to put a greater burden upon them. You see, some storms cause us to fear, don't they? Some storms, like the other storm the disciples were in, it caused them to fear. But some storms just simply put a greater burden upon us. They cause us to labor and to toil. They cause us to drag along that heaviness. We wonder, when is this ever going to be over? I think COVID is a good example of that. For a lot of people, I've heard fear. There's a lot of people in our society who are afraid. We had a lady call us, didn't we, Paul? And she was, was crying so much on the phone and screaming so much that I couldn't understand her I'm in my car. I was driving in my cell phone, and she was on a cell phone, and it was just weeping and sobbing, and there was just so much fear that I couldn't understand her. And I said, ma'am, I'll be in my office in just a few minutes. Could you call back to a landline? Could we, we talk again? And she called, and she actually got Pastor Paul on the phone, and just full of fear. For others, it's just been a heavier burden. You're not afraid of it, but it's been a difficulty, hasn't it? It's weighed upon your shoulders. You're wondering, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be laid off? How am I going to supply for my family? The cost of things has gone up. How many of you notice the gas is going up through the roof right now? You notice that? Wow. And we just wonder... Are we going to make it through? There's a burden placed upon us. And I want to suggest to you that the storm that these disciples found themselves in was not a fearful storm like the one before. They were weathered fishermen. They had been on that sea before. They had traveled it from town to town as well. And they knew what the waves were like. And they knew what the storm was, were like, could be like. But they were, they were just weighed down and burdened and toiling, the Bible says. But I want to suggest that God put a deliberate and a measured storm upon their life to teach them something about their faith. You see, God did that? Absolutely. A lot of times we like to blame the devil for every trial, don't we? Well, the devil's fighting me again. You know, every once in a while, the Lord allows a storm in your life. He allows a trial to come into your life to strengthen you, to draw you closer to him. It was a calculated trial. I say, secondly, it was a controlled trial. Again, it was just enough. It was what God had designed. It wasn't something that was going to overwhelm them or kill them, but it was something that caused them to labor hard. It was something that, that left them without any, uh, res uh, with any rescue or any hope. And so the, we understand that it was controlled in this sense. First of all, Matthew chapter 648 tells us this. Think about this with me. Sorry, not Matthew. Mark chapter 648, the same, same story. It says that Jesus stood upon the shore... And he saw them toiling. 
I, I said before that it was a calculated trial, but I, I want to, to just think this way as well. It was a controlled trial in that they were never out of the sight of Jesus Christ. Three kilometers is a long way to see something, isn't it? How far is three kilometers from here? Tim Hortons? Come on, if you're, if, you're, if you're in a Baptist church, you ought to always know how far you are from the closest Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is probably three kilometers, mile and a half or so. If you were to stand out at the end of our driveway, and if it was a, I know it runs downhill, do you think you could see detail what was going on that far away? Could you tell me what color the stoplights are at Highway 3 and 24? Not likely. But Jesus standing on the shore could see them toiling and rowing, the Bible says in Matthew 6, or Mark 6.48. He could see the detail. We are never out of the sight of the master. Hey, listen, all these trials, all this storm, it's in his control. He's got this. Here's another thing we see from all three passages in Matthew, Mark, and John. We are never out of his reach. As a matter of fact, the only person who could reach those men that night was Jesus. Nobody else could walk on the water. Nobody else would dare get in a boat and row out to meet them. And even if they tried, it's likely they would not make it. If these 12 men, some of them fishermen, all of them had been on that sea before, if they could not row in what was contrary to them, who else is going to go out and save them? But Jesus could see them, and they were never out of his reach. I'm waiting for somebody to get excited. I, I, I mean, I could tap dance on this floor now. We've got a wood floor, Amen. Somebody was afraid it was going to make noise. I said, I saw Kelvin and Rob up here tap dancing. It was fine. Didn't hear a thing. Hey, you're never out of his sight. Hey, a sparrow falls from a tree. Guess who sees it? The very hairs on your head are numbered. You're never out of his care. You're never out of his reach. You're never out of his sight. It's a controlled storm. Whenever we're going through a trial, whenever uh, God sees fit to allow us to, to, to go through some high waters or go through a little bit of fire, understand this. God is always there. He always sees and he always knows. It was a calculated trial. It was a controlled trial. Look at this. It was constrained. It was a constrained trial. The Bible says he constrained them. To get into the boat, verse 22. He constrained, our verse, I think 24 actually, constrained them. You see, what does that mean? It means forced, compelled. We don't want to get in the boat, Lord. Not if you're not going. No, no, you get in the boat and go. Lord, we, we see the clouds out there. It, we're old fishermen, we kind of know. It's not a great night to be out on the sea. Get in the boat and go. Go! Because God had a plan. God says, I, I need you to go through this trial. I need, you to, I need you to understand what it's like out on that water without me. You see, you've been out on that water before, but I was in the boat. I've always been in the boat. Ever since we met, ever since we've been going town to town, zigzagging across this lake, Ever since that time we, I was sleeping in the bow and I calmed the wind and the waves, I've always been, but you need to know what it's like. 
to go through a trial. And know that even though I'm way over there, I can still see you and I can still reach you. I can be there. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, the Bible says this. There hath no temptation taken you, but what such is common unto man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever said that? I just can't take it anymore. I can't handle the fire that I'm going through. God says you can. And he sees it. And he can reach you. And he can help you. That's the circumstances of the storm. But I want you to see thirdly, the courage of Simon Peter. You know, Simon often takes a bad rap, doesn't he? If I, if I say, tell me something about Simon Peter. Yeah, he's the guy that took his eyes off the Lord and began to sink. He's also the guy that walked on the water. Hey, don't forget that. He's also the guy that had the courage to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm. He's the guy, listen, I, I was talking about this in the early service. We, we just heard that Walter Gretzky passed away, and I, I watched uh, Wayne Gretzky give a eulogy to his father. And I got thinking about Wayne Gretzky. He just, it was in the news. He just turned 60 years old, and he retired from hockey over 20 years ago, and still, even after 20 years, holds 62 NHL records. Isn't that incredible? In other words, he did some things that nobody else has done. He scored more goals than anybody else has scored. They say if you take away his goals, he still has more points than anybody else ever had points. Incredible. But there are others that are similar to him. There's other great players in hockey. There's other men that have come close to his records and their feats are similar. Somebody's got to be number one, but there's there's similar feats. But when we talk about Peter walking on the water, nobody has ever done that. They say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. He can do anything. But Peter is the only man that was 100% and only man, only flesh, only carnal. He's the only one ever to walk on the water. It took some courage. But I want to suggest to you that his courage was a result of faith. And we see some things about his faith in this passage. First of all, it is a faith that relies on a clear directive. A faith that relies upon a clear directive. Notice what the Bible says. Look at the verses there with me. I'm going to get you the, the number. Verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, everybody say it, come. A one word command. Peter never said, it's the Lord. And just jumped out of the boat. He never did that. You say, well, I read somewhere in the Bible where he did do that. Yes, he did. After Jesus was risen from the dead, and the Bible says Jesus was on the shore, and he prepared a little fish and bread upon the coals. You remember that, Paul? That Peter was told to let down his 
nets on the other side of the boat and he did and it filled with nets and fish and when he saw that he said it is the Lord and he threw himself in the water and you know what he did the Bible says he swam to shore he didn't walk on the water that time well why not he has clearly demonstrated he has the ability to walk on the water because the Lord did not command it in this case he said to the Lord Lord if it be thou bid me come unto the end of the water and the Lord said come And the Bible says in the very next words, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. Listen, I want to say something to you that might be a little contrary to our thinking. There are two types of faith, I believe, for the believer. Okay, let me clarify, for the believer. There's a faith that rests in God a faith that rests in God. You say, well, I'm just trusting in the promises of God. That's faith that rests in God. You say, I I don't know how God's gonna work through this circumstance, this situation, but I'm I'm just gonna trust that God is working all things together for my good. That's a faith that rests in God. We sing that song, my faith has found a resting place. Sometimes we say, my faith has found a place to rest, and that's just backwards. No, we rest in God. We're trusting him day by day to meet our daily needs, to take care of us. And some of you have understood over the last year what that means to really have to rely upon the Lord and trust in the Lord and say, I don't know where it's coming from or how it's going to happen, but God says he will not see his people begging for bread. And I'm just going to rest in him. There's that kind of faith. Then there's another kind of faith where we kind of step out. We take steps of faith. And I've heard people say, you know what, we ought, to just, we ought to just step out and let God catch us. It's like writing a check and hoping the money's in the bank when you, they cash it. Hey, that's foolishness. I am all for saying, listen, let's start something that only God can finish. But you better make sure it's the will of God first. You better make sure it's what God wants. Because when we start something and we have to finish it ourselves, that's the flesh. When we step out and say, well, I believe, I, I believe this is faith and I'm just going to believe that God's going to do this. Listen, if it is not the will of God, if it is not directed by God, that's your flesh. Peter never stepped out of the boat until he had the command to come. He believed God. And when God said, come, he stepped out. Listen, he said, well, that's not really faith. That's just obedience. That's what faith is. Having the courage to obey. Joshua chapter one, God said to Joshua, only be thou strong and very courageous to obey, to do, to follow, to keep the word of God. Be very courageous. It takes courage. It takes faith. He said, well, it doesn't really take faith, does it? Listen, if, if I'm on that boat and Jesus says, hey, come on out on the water. Uh, I don't know, Lord. It still takes some faith, doesn't it? How many of you have been up to the CN Tower? Raise your hands. You've been up to the CN Tower? Several? How many of you could walk out on that glass? Some did. Some, some, most did, not all. Amy, you didn't put up your hand. You couldn't do it? No. And there's that guy or that girl that stand there and say, well, this will hold 16 elephants. I still can't do it. 
First time I went up there, years and years ago, my wife, I mean, we were just married. Back then, I remember it cost us $6 to go up. That's how old we, she is, or we are. It's like 30-something now. But we went up there, and that, remember that guy? He jumped on it. He went and he jumped all the way across, jumping up and down. And I'm thinking, well, if that guy can, if that guy can jump on that glass, I certainly can walk on it. No. I did that, must have been six or seven times. I just, ugh, I can't bring myself to do it. I just, it just, there's something about standing and looking down thousands of feet that just is unnerving. I took the Faithman Quartet a couple years ago, and Jeff Schultz still couldn't walk on it. I finally got out there. He couldn't do it. Kelvin Allen laid right down and was taking selfies like he was parachuting. He's crazy, but Jeff couldn't do it. He just, I just, just something in my mind won't let me do it. I kind of think Peter was like that. If Peter wasn't like that, I think I would be. Come! Ah, oh, I don't know. But to his credit, Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. We, oh, we, we say, well, Peter, what, where was his faith? He took his eyes off the Lord. We like preaching that. But statistics will tell you this, 11 out of 12 men won't get out of the boat. You say, where do you read that? Because 11 are still in the boat. Only one had the courage. But it was only because the Lord said, come. He had the faith to believe that God was able to do what he said he could do. Let me prove it to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says there in I don't even know what time it is. It's time to go. If you want to leave, you can. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Verse 7, important. By faith, Noah. What are those next four words? Being warned of God. Of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Hey, this is the faith chapter. And Noah's faith was obedience. He went out into some plain somewhere and he begins constructing this great big boat. God says it's going to be 300 cubits long. It's going to be 45 cubits wide. It's going to be 90 cubits high. And he gave him all the dimensions. He said, you're going to make it out of gopher wood. There's going to be a window at the top. And he told him all the things to do to build this boat. And Noah said, yes, sir. And he went out in the middle of the plains and the whole world thought he was crazy. But he had faith to obey God. But he had a clear directive from the word of the Lord. If you'll read the next verse in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see also in verse 8, Abraham had the same thing. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he there, he said, well, he just went out and he offered up Isaac. He just believed God would raise him up from the dead. That's not what happened. God said to him in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, he said, here am I, Lord. He said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And the Bible says in the very next verse, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and claved the wood for the fire. And he took his son 
Can you imagine if Abraham says, well, I just, I just want to show God what my faith is like, so I'm going to take Isaac up and I'm going to sacrifice him. No, no, you don't do that unless God says so. It takes faith to obey God. And obedience is a great mark of our faith. So we see with the life of Peter, he had a faith that relies on a clear direction. Secondly, a faith that responds in the correct direction. A faith that responds in the correct direction. Notice what it says in verse 29. Verse 29. And he said, come. And Peter, when, when, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to do what? To go to Jesus. Do you know what we often pray when we're in a trial or in a storm? God, get me to shore. We don't use those words. God, get me out of this trial. God, save me. God, help me. God, take this trial away from me. Peter did not use the opportunity of walking on the water to run to shore. Maybe you and I would have. I got out there and, whoa, see you guys. (laughs) And headed for shore. But Peter decided, I'm going to go to Jesus. In the midst of this trial, I want to get closer to Christ. I don't feel safe in the boat. (laughs) I feel safe out there with Jesus. That's where I'm going to be. So a faith that responds in the proper direction. Do you know that whenever we say, well, we're just trusting God, it ought to bring God glory. It ought to draw us closer to Christ. It ought to bring us to a place where we're fully relying upon him. Peter's Peter's faith moved him in the right direction. It it took him towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't uh, seek seek himself, but instead he sought after the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11, I already read, but listen, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and listen, he is a rewarder of them, Peter, that diligently seek him. Peter was rewarded. I, I, I can't say this enough. Peter goes down in history recorded in the word of God for walking on the water. Walking on the water. Amen. Why? Because he was seeking Christ. And God rewarded him for his faith. He responded in the right direction. And then thirdly, he had a faith that results in a courageous demonstration. Look at verse 29. He walked on the water. He actually did it. Lord, if it be thou, bidst me come unto thee on the water. And the Lord said, come. If I only read the Bible that far, I might wonder, is Peter just testing? Lord, if I asked, would you you let me? Walk on the could I do that? But he actually did it. He actually walked on the water. It was a, a demonstration of his faith. God allowed him to do something miraculous. He did something that defied nature because he had faith in Christ. Listen, extraordinary things are done every day. You understand that, right? Watch the news. Extraordinary things. 
How many, how many of you seen the, the Roe Mars thing, the thing they put on Mars? What's it called? It has a name. It starts with a P, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't watch the news enough, I guess. Nobody else knows either, so that's good. But they, they put this thing on Mars, and they're starting to send pictures back, right? Looking for intelligent life. I wish they'd look around here. It's incredible, though. Men do incredible things. My wife and I just, it was just a month or so ago, we watched a documentary on landing on the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and, and uh, we, we got to meet Buzz Aldrin at the Reagan Library years ago. And, and uh, those men's, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It was interesting. Landing on the moon, it was incredible stuff. Men can do extraordinary things. But if you want to do the miraculous things, you need to walk with God. It takes his power. Nobody else has ever walked on the water but Peter. Let me give you this and we're done. The conclusion of the story. I know our time is gone. Here's where I'm, I've given you the outline. I've given you some of the passage. Let me give you some principles. Number one. I'll move through these very quickly. Number one. Our personal collapses are inevitable. He said, no, 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 I'm perfect. You're the only one I've ever met. You're the only one I've ever met. We're all sinners. We're all flesh. We all fail. Peter stood upon the water. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy statement, isn't it? Peter stood upon the water, arms like from Jesus, and he still failed. Tony Baker likes to remind me all the time, he says, God had a couple kids once. He put them in a perfect place called the Garden of Eden and they still messed up. They sure did. We're flesh and we fail. It is inevitable. But I say that to say this, our personal collapses are inevitable, but the power of Christ is infallible. You can always rely upon Christ. When your faith wavers, Christ never loses strength. When the arm of flesh may fail you, we have an omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty God. When you're feeling all alone, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's on the shore and he can see you. And he can get there in seconds. You're always reachable. Though our collapses are inevitable. His Christ is infallible. But here's what you need to get today. Verse 31. Our position in Christ is imperative. Our position in Christ is imperative. Look what it says in verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? There's quite a contrast between Peter here and the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the Bible says he went into a faraway land and he wasted his living on riotous lifestyle. But it was there he was out of the sight of his father. I understand that an earthly father is not the same as our heavenly father. God can see us anywhere. He's with us all the time. But the parable teaches us that so far away. And I believe that if the young man could, 
in those days pick up a phone and call his father, his father would have been right there to help him. But it was when he got close to his father again that he found himself with a robe and a ring. And a nice dinner with a fatted calf. But Peter was so close to the Lord in that moment, his faith had brought him so close to the Savior that when he got in trouble, he could say, Master, save me. And Jesus just reached his hand and picked him up. Do you know how they got back to the boat? They walked back together. We sometimes miss the fact that Peter did more walking on the water again. He walked on the water and he began to to slip. He took his eyes off the Lord and the Bible says he saw the wind and the waves were boisterous and, and he lost his focus on Christ and he began to sink and as Jesus picked him up, we forget this, he walked on the water a second time. This time holding on to Jesus as they made their way back to the boat. Our position in Christ is imperative. I'm not talking about our salvation this morning. I'm talking about are you walking with the Lord? Are you walking with him? Are you, is your faith brought you so close to the Lord? You know, trials will do two things, won't they? They'll drive us away or they'll bring us close. I'm speaking biblically and I'm also speaking from experience. I have seen it. I've seen people go through trials and be driven away from the Lord. They get bitter, they get angry. And I've seen other people come so close to the Lord that even when they fall, the Lord just picks them up and heals their broken heart. He dusts them off and he says, you're my child. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now, look at verse 32 and 33, we'll be done. As we go through this story about this trial, about this storm, we see a lot about Peter. But notice what it says in verse 31, verse 32. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. It's almost like Jesus said the trial is over. So the wind stopped. Verse 33, then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him. You say, who? Saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. I have read First and Second Peter, and I never hear Peter say, I'm the apostle Peter, the one that walked on the water. He never pats himself on the back. He never beats his chest. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, did Peter include in his sermon, hey, you need to listen to me because I'm the one that walked on the water. Does anybody ever see that? What I'm telling you this morning is that Peter's faith at that moment and his walk with the Lord was so close that when all the disciples ran over to Jesus and fell on their face and began to worship him, he never once said, hey guys, I walked on the water too. What Peter was saying was all the glory belongs to Jesus. What I just did out there, nobody else will ever do. (laughs) Nobody's ever going to walk on the water like I just did. But it's not because of me. It's all because of him. Let's worship him. All the disciples knew it. 
There's no, there's no verse in the Bible that says Peter had to tell Mark to go over. No, no, don't go worship him. They all knew. This is they all. They all. They all. Look what it says. First, and then they were in the ship, came and worshiped. He doesn't say only some of them. That means even Peter was on his face before God. Worshiping him for all this power. Hey, that's what a biblical faith will do. It'll give all the glory to Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open even now. You can pray right where you are. But let's stand to our feet. Let me ask you this this morning. First of all, I, I know it wasn't a salvation message. But I think if you read this passage of scripture, you can understand this one thing. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came in power. I mean, he can walk on the water. If he can save those disciples, he can save your soul. We sang much this morning about the Savior, about the blood, about the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Do you know him today? Are you saved? If you were to die today, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven with God the Father and his son Jesus Christ? Maybe there's one say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Nobody's looking around. So one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Just slip up your hand. I won't embarrass you. I promise. Is there one? Maybe there's others today that say, you know, I, I need to take a look at my walk with God. <laughs> Peter fell, but his, his fall and recovery were very, very quick. It happened instantly. Because he was so close to the Lord, he could just call out and have that relationship with him and be scooped up to safety. But sometimes when our hearts get hard and we get so far away from the Lord like the prodigal that we don't know where to turn. And we suffer more as a result because of our own sin. Where are you walking with the Lord today? What kind of faith do you have? Is it drawing you closer to Christ? Some of you, no doubt, are going through a storm right now. Somebody said you've either come through a storm, you're in a storm, or one's coming up. That's just how life is. It's ups and downs, hills and valleys. This is during those times. I, I know a young man that every time a trial comes, he's just drawn away. Just taken away again and again and again. Oh, that those trials would drive us to our knees and bring us closer to Christ. Christ.